Welcome to the Man Talk Show, Training for Men, Answers for Women. I'm Connor Beaton, and joining me today is Mr. Buddy Wakefield. Now, I've been wanting to have Buddy on the show for quite a long time. Buddy is an American spoken word artist, a three-time, three-time Poetry Slam world champion, and the most toured performance poet in history. His works have been released by uh, Strange Famous Records on CD, Righteous Babe Records, and Right Bloody Publishing, <laughs> which sounds like a great publishing house. So uh, Buddy actually has such a wild and fascinating story. And so on this episode, we're going to talk about what it was like for him to grow up in probably one of the most you know hyper- uh, masculine oriented spaces in Texas as uh, a game as a gay man as a boy a teenager and uh, you know he has some amazingly hilarious stories uh, about his upbringing so we talk about a number of things we talk about what his experience was uh, he shares a little bit of his poetry he shares a little bit about uh, you know how his experiences have created a lot of who he is uh, and he shares some really deep wisdom on how we can all learn from our own experiences how we can integrate our uh, our experiences learn from our own story learn from our own narrative and actually build the type of story in our life that we ultimately want so this is just a, a an abundance of wisdom a plethora of uh, of of wise uh, stories and some really funny but also some really sad moments so this is a little bit of everything today and we've got some uh, really great topics so uh, you know, without any further delay, I'm just going to bring him on in and let him do the talking because he is a really, really gifted um, speaker and poet. So joining me now is Mr. Buddy Wakefield. I am. I'm stoked. I'm stoked to have you here on the show, my friend. I've been I've actually been following your work for quite a while. My wife is obsessed with your poetry and your work and your writing and just like your presentation. And so it's just a, it's a treat to have you here. Um, and, and after all that praise. We were just jamming about about uh, <laughs> so so how we came into contact because I ha- I I'm, I actually came to you or by you uh, because of Jeremy Goldberg who runs Long Distance Love Bombs and you were about to t- to to tell me a little story. Well, I had started a story. I didn't know we hadn't been recording yet, and, and you know the first couple steps into the story, <laughs> I thought I might want to back out. But <laughs> the the truth is, I'm a sober man now, but. When Jeremy had actually was in L.A. and I invited him over, we had already scheduled an interview. I had <laughs> we actually did the um, I was uh, coming out of a nine week bender. And I don't know if anybody has ever had, you know, the whole addiction problem, which I which I contended with for a number of years, 31 or so. And and, and so Jeremy came over uh, right at the right as I was, you know, coming out of that. <laughs> and, and so I think the interview went relatively well, despite my despite my wanting to curl up into a ball in a cave and never see people again. Um, he couldn't have been more more. Um, I mean, his energy was so kind and uh, and and easy that I just got to be myself, and it actually went into a. We actually got right into like serendipity and. Um, and the actual experience, you know, we were we were in the moment. We were talking about what was happening for me, uh, the difference between, you know, what I know is uh, is is 
good for my life and 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 maybe the um the reasons i had stepped back the other direction uh and it got pretty metaphysical and and present and uh it was a great conversation and so i had listened to it when he released it i typically don't listen to uh interviews or read what folks have written or watch previous shows but i was so curious about that when i just couldn't wait to see if despite my feeling good about it, it had been a train wreck. I wasn't aware of like, I wanted to know, I wanted to know how out of touch or, or in touch I actually was. And it, it was fantastic. And what I learned in listening to it was that he, uh, he had been a fan. He was really excited to do the interview, but in listening to it, I realized I'm actually a fan of Jeremy's now. I, his communication style, his, um, being adamant on uh, supporting people to be the best that they can be is not, you know, uh, a self-help, you know, want to be <laughs> sort of putting it out there, hoping we do something great with this. Like he's just genuinely an open hearted individual. And so I called him up and said, I think you're fantastic. Thanks for being so good to me. And now we're going to be running a retreat in the Pacific Northwest called Here Come the Whales, uh, a, a, an immersive creativity retreat. Um I couldn't be more excited about it in September, assuming the Rhone is over. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, man. Amazing. I mean, it's <laughs> speaking of serendipity. Like I almost, I always start off my episodes, uh, interviewing my guests by asking the question, tell us a story about a defining moment in your life. And yet here we are. I feel like you just gave us a defining moment, um, <laughs> in, in your life. In, interestingly enough, and you know, serendipity is, is my superpower. You know, I think it's everybody's superpower, but I've really, been uh, fortunate enough in this life to have um, meditation as the love of my life. Um, mm. And I've got, you know, 15 years experience in a grounded technique for me with no rites or rituals or idol worship or anything. It's just, I mean, if you hate breath, you're not going to be into it. But, <laughs> but, but so uh, when I've done that, I've, I've, um, I've arrived at the experientially the, the, the natural next step, which is, uh, serendipity. And that was affirmed for me when I was reading the end of Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth, uh, when he mentions, when he says that basically, so when you become more uh, practiced in presence, don't be surprised if the naturally occurring result is frequent, specific serendipity, synchronicity, coincidence, kismet, like he lists every name for it. I'm like, oh shit, that's what I've been experiencing. And so that was a, a great reaffirmation for me. But yeah, I could talk about serendipity and what it's, uh, the role it's played in my life hours. And in fact, uh, the angry therapist, John Kim and I in Los Angeles were hosting uh, once a month, something called the nines. The nines was a story centered around serendipity, a, a really undeniable and powerful one. And, and so we would get nine random people who didn't know each other every month from all walks of life, like, you know, gym rats and and people who read the Akashic records and old friends and entrepreneurs. And we would sit them around a potluck table and have a normalized conversation around everything that people don't normally talk about and dig into serendipity, you know, psychic behavior, aliens, whatever it was, we just all <laughs> talked about it. And, uh, and, and in a, in a way that surprisingly, um, no one felt surprised or put off or weirded out by it. It turns out we're all interested in these things. We just don't, you know, dissect them on a daily basis. And we just sort of stick close to our narrow narrative because it's comfortable. But um, 
mm-hmm. without realizing that there's a thinning out from the density that we currently live in. There's a thinning out that happens once we get into those into that subject matter. Mm. So good. So good. I, I appreciate what you're saying because, I mean, I, I had that happen last night. A buddy of mine and I, uh, he met me down at the water. We're, we're here in Vancouver and there's a beach. There's like a little, little tiny little entrance to a, a beach down there that's super private. And so I've just been going there every single night and watching the sunset as often as I can. And so I said, well, walk, walk over there and and meet me and, and we'll social distance, right? You can stand six feet apart from me. We'll, we'll catch up. And, uh, and we were just talking, we were jamming on, uh, I just listened to an interview recently with this guy named Eric Weinstein, and he's the acting CEO of, of Peter Thiel's capital fund and just a brilliant guy. And he's created this, this theory called geometric unity Uh that he believes is like the, the gap, it bridges the gap between quantum mechanics and, uh, Einstein's theory of relativity. And so I'm, I'm telling my buddy about this because this, this Eric Weinstein guy believes that he sort of found like the source code for existence, which is very fascinating. And, uh, and this guy that is sort of like 20 feet away is with his, with his girlfriend and he's standing there and slowly I can see him just like turning towards me, you know, and like looking over and finally he, he like chimes in and engages in this whole conversation. Uh, and, and it like happens to be that he knows, he knows Eric Weinstein and he knows this guy. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, oh, two degrees of separation. So serendipitous, like such an interesting, and there's nobody else around. Like, it's not like we're on a credit beach, right? It's the middle of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So it's serendipity is a beautiful thing. And it's happening uh, faster and faster and more and more it's building momentum. I mean, it's always been there, but the awareness of it is building momentum. There's a whole, uh, um, because of the demand for a new narrative and uh, awareness around a lot of things, there's a bit of a, uh, and with the acknowledgement from a, a, a much wider base of the importance of meditation and that it really may be the path, this whole air thing <laughs> and and, uh, and the observation of things without reacting. Um, uh, yeah, I get so excited. Every, I mean, it's a daily thing now for me and maybe it's because I'm just, uh, feel practiced in it to some degree um it's it's a daily occurrence at this point and it's it's uh it it it, to me it feels like um i think some people will call those things uh either coincidence or miracles depending on the intensity of it but for me i don't think miracles are miracles i just think they're the constant recurring reminders of how much we have not been paying attention the more we pay attention to this the more we're able to acknowledge that there is uh, a collective conscious or something greater than us at work um, and that we are powerless over the good that it's doing. Like inevitably that love is going to come through and it's just sifting out who's willing to, to channel that and who's not. And I think for a lot of people that sounds like a, what is typically called woo woo or out there. And I think for most, especially the younger generation, it's being normalized and, and in, uh, on. And in the the softest way, demanded. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Can you speak a little bit more to, like, I, I want to get into the, the like your creative process and actually, to be honest with you, I wanted to have you on the show to ask you the question. Tell me about how your mind works. Um, so maybe we'll we'll get to that in a second. But tell me, I think what's what you're talking about is very important in this emergence of a new narrative and this this emergence of a a new narrative that that is trying to present itself. Um, that's sort of based or, or, or couched in awareness, 
you know that seems to be the that seems to be the foundation of of a lot of different paths that are all converging and sort of all saying somewhat of a similar thing. So can you just speak a little bit to that? Like, why do you feel like that is? That's so funny that you mentioned uh, wanting to know about the, the, the artistic process or, or my, or my process in general, and then ask that question because it all comes down to the fact that even my last workshop is called you're doing it right. And it, it's regarding the point of connection and everything because there's a point of connection and everything. And it's one of my favorite things to do as an artist and creator is to, is is to uh, use the power of association um, or, or the, the point of connection and everything and, and give myself permission to relate to seemingly unrelated things. You know, whether that's like hammerheads and marmalade or you know, like a, a, a book and a vacuum clean, like whatever it is, there is there are all these happy accidents that happen along the way to relate these things, which improve the, the, the interesting idea itself. I mean, I'm not as a writer, I'm not here just to be clever. Like there has to be substance and it points all to a very specific thing for me intuitively. But um, so I find this crisp language in, in these in these seemingly unrelated things and then and then go on the journey of of relating them and all to come to the point in which for me as a, as, a, as an artist and I don't. As, as an artist, it's, it, I know very clearly my intention is to come from a heavy place and to end up in a light place and experience, you know, I, I started in, uh, I, I was not born right with the, this world, but I did know about happiness and I did know about uh, uh, clarity and I was geared, my energy engine was uh, running as fast as it could to to understand that. And I matured a lot slower than my peers. And I always knew I wanted to arrive, be arriving in a space that made sense to me and actually felt good. And so it's been through drawing, drawing the connections and everything. And, uh, um, and now that seems really, I think I'm all over the map a little bit here. I just want to say that seems really abstract random, but there is a linear motion to it for me and, and an intention. And, oh, I think I was saying about that intention is um, I start in that dark place that I was born into with a lot of misinformation and uh, a deep heaviness around being, you know, growing up gay in Texas, um, in in a very religious family who didn't necessarily walk their talk, and um, and you know the things that all everybody's got a story. The things that go on top of that would be poor, and I was also uh, physically I walked. Um, I wasn't prepared for anybody to know I was gay, and I overcompensated most of my life actually. But I did have a feminine affect affectations when I was younger, and uh, which I deeply overcorrected <laughs> and so uh, those things were terrifying for me it was, there was never a safe spot and it was it was a family full of women also no man ever came and so <clears throat> at some point there was a fathering of myself and um it was terrifying because i was so made fun of uh, uh um, and don't get me wrong i had i've had amazing friends the whole journey i wasn't entirely alone but um all of that has informed my drive to discover uh, a new narrative that wasn't so cruel. And so in doing that, there's also been an understanding of how what I conceived as cruel, or what I experienced as cruel, that that didn't mean to be so cruel and actually wanted what I wanted. And so it, in my writing, in order to move, to leave clear writing on the wall, maybe how to come out of devastation and suffering, I also get to the right to the 
people who, for me, were real catalysts of it. And it's nice to be able to look an audience in the eye, knowing that there are plenty of those people out there and say directly to their faces these things that um, mm. that I know how this feels. Like, I, I, I not only know it, but I experience it. And I've also walked the path, a really clear path on how to get out. And if you want to join me, I think we can all be in this together. And it's not, you know, like, it's not a savior complex, Fuck it, maybe it is. I don't care if you know if, if wanting to make the world a better place is a savior complex. Um, you nailed me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so that's just what excites me. It's my highest excitement. And if the formula for this life is, which I think it is, to live your highest excitement with zero expectations of the outcome, then that's the path I'm on. And and, and I got here as a writer because I didn't know I was going to be this. I just wrote because it excited me and it, it allowed me to organize my chaos. And I don't remember where this question started. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, it's a pretty good answer considering, considering all of that. I, I, I love it, man. I mean, I, I have a lot of questions that, that have been birthed out of just what you said there, but I think I want to just go back to your, your experience growing up, right? You, you talked about you know, being born, I think you said something around along the lines of like being born into uh, a space where it you didn't fit right or something along those lines. And I think that's something that is, is very felt by a lot of people. I'm curious, you know, especially having having worked with a lot of men who, you know, are, are born into those hyper Christian homes and have a different sexual orientation. What was what was that like for you? If you can just give like a little bit of, of light and illumination on that, because I think that might be helpful. It was suicidal. And we have to get down to the root of things before we can expand on it. And the root of things is this God, however, that's whatever that is to you. But to me, it was a compartmentalized white guy in the sky who was sending, you know, receiving prayer requests and sending back answers um, and had like favorites and a real bunch of shitty, severe laws. And it's, his people were were really um not trustworthy. The root of this is I was, but, but I was born into people who were my source of information and safety, whatever that was going to be. And it wasn't safe or good information in my experience. And, and then this God they were telling me about is God, like the end all be all. And so when this guy hates you, when he's not on your side, which is translated through, you know, no, no fags or homosexuality. And, you know, which is, which is every single day. And especially in the environment I was in, you know, it was N words and fags. And, and um, when God, the creator is not on your side, you're fucked. Mm -hmm. And knowing in my heart that I was, that there was a love and there was a, a desire to not, disappoint God. I spent 23 years. I mean, when I was in college, I was the, I became the president of the Christian Cowboys Friends and Fellowship Rodeo Association. <laughs> how get out of here. How, Can you just say that again? How gay is that? <laughs> I was the president of the Christian Cowboys Friends and Fellowship Rodeo Association. And the reason I'm saying this is to show the ex extreme to which I'll give your listeners time to stop laughing too, because <laughs> it's it is not unhysterical. Um, so uh, 
I so deeply did not want to be gay. I so deeply did not want to disappoint my family or my friends to be this embarrassment that, I mean, like one time, I remember when I was 16, I held my thumb over a lighter to see how long I could burn. And it was like three seconds. (laughs) And I pulled my thumb away and I stood in panic realizing I'm going to burn forever my insides, my outsides, my spirit, if I don't convert, like if I don't stop this demon that's in me, you know, it took 23 years for me to even start coming out of that. Uh, It was terrifying. So that's just to lay the foundation of, I think, a lot of of the majority of the gay experience, especially those who don't have uh, supportive families or or informed parents or families or or even of you know come from a different pedigree where at least some things are easier but you know and then I don't even have to I could even pass at a certain point when I wanted to like I don't have to be a woman of color trying to go through this can you imagine or a trans person who I mean that whole evolution is a different story and you know I can't. So, so if, when we're looking at people, especially when, you know, like my parents and their gated old folks community, he still can't understand why people are wearing pussy hats or, you know, or, or these marches or, 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 uh, or can't just get over it and can't wrap their brains around the meaning of the word systemic, these nuances that created the outrage, which some of us don't have a handle on. And, in a, and that's rightfully so, or have the tools to have a handle on it. So uh, I guess, again, I'm just sort of springboarding off the fun, the foundation question and, and, and expressing, yeah, it was really intense. It was, uh, and, and that's how it's intense for a lot of us. And so, and I think that really informs where we're at in psychological evolution and the ways in which we participate in our existence at this point as a collective and it's so exciting. You know, it's still mostly in the cities where we get this acceptance. Um, but I do find in small towns when I'm on tour now, uh, I mean, there's just so much more acceptance. I mean, there's obviously there's still, I mean, we have a the president we have, which I'll just, oh, there's there. I mean, it, there's, it's there's a circular talk that it's that that the holding pattern of that subject matter, I can't even participate any longer. Mm-hmm. It's that's a good, I think that's a good way of saying it, the holding pattern of the subject matter. I mean, I think it, there's a lot of, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a whole other pathway that maybe we'll, we'll just deter away from right now. Cause I think I, I would love to, I would actually love to talk a little bit more about this idea of happy accidents that you talked mm-hmm. about before. And I would love to hear a little bit about like how happy accidents have informed your life and your creation process. Cause I feel like as you, as you sort of alluded to before, these happy accidents have been a key part of creating the version of you that mm-hmm. is, you know, communicating with me right now. Yeah. As you're saying that, thank you. As you're saying that, I'm, I'm, I think I'm putting together that, you know, there's serendipity, which is super akin to a happy accident, but I think a happy mm-hmm. accident may be for me as, um, right effort. So if I'm putting right effort into something, and I can only relate this to the writing process right now. Uh, when, when I show up 
to write. Like for instance, there's no writer's block. It's just called laziness. And so when I when I show up to write, it doesn't have to be brilliant every time I show up. I just have to show up. And mm-hmm. in that, if I write two pages, it's not all going to be it's not all going to be the jam. But I'm going to be able to circle at least one line that packs heat and is going to resonate. And and so that's I pull that line out and I put it on the big idea list and I save it for later. Um, and then so when I'm relating two things that are seemingly unrelated. And the point of connection uh, and the fact that there's a point of connection and everything. And I'm putting those two things on paper and I show up to put in right effort to creatively bring those things to a fine point and, and still draw that parallel into what makes us lighter and invent that crisp language to keep people interested in checking out a finger that's pointing in the right direction. Um, th- that's when I, uh, that's when the happy accidents happen. It's the space between uh, the, the two points. It's me. Mm. It's me walking that path between the two points to achieve uh, the intention. And so I think what serendipity does is more of a that it's it's a joyful coincidence. It's um, it's a it's a boost. It's an inspiration. It's a, oh yeah, there is something greater than me. It's it's a, it's that thing that says, um, oh, I am the chosen one. <laughs> it's that thing for everybody that just is like, oh wow, look how that happened. The happy accident seems, you know, the right effort in that direction that can create those points of connection so that more things do appear. Um, it, it's 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 it happens with an intention of being present. Any serendipity, any happy accidents are all going to occur largely through the act of practicing presence. Now, is that true? Uh, um, you know, like when a friend of mine who you know, I don't know, maybe wasted all the time and is driving down the road, and you know, a serendipitous thing happens. Is that a gift? I believe it is because it was for me too. Um, I just feel more aware of them. Mm. I, I think mm, something felt weird coming out of my mouth about that. Like I should connect more points, but I want to stop there regarding that. No, I think, I mean, uh, how I, how I've interpreted that and, and how I've experienced it for myself is like when I am, I'll use more sort of like spiritual woo woo terms, but when I am the embodiment of awareness, when I'm coming from a place of awareness and I'm not trying to force these, these happy accidents to happen. I'm not trying to force a miracle to happen. I'm not trying to force these circumstances to come together because I need them to happen or I'm attached to them, you know, a specific outcome happening. It's like when I'm just moving in a, in a direction that is passion and purpose fueled uh, and I'm just aware mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm open and I'm just watching and I'm paying attention to myself and my thoughts and my emotions and the world around me, then I'm able to sort of become the antenna for those accidents to, to be received. You know, you're right. And I heard someone say, and this is relative to what you're saying in my mind, don't pray like a beggar. Pray like a child of God. And the way to do that is to be the way that you're talking, that way of being that you're speaking toward right now is an actual prayer, is being a child of God. And when I say the child of God, that's God, however you see God. Uh, um, I'll just bookmark that to say that, make it really clear for me, I see God as every single thing 
happening at once, no molecule excluded. If anything gets excluded, it is no longer God. And similarly, if not identically, this moment is everything happening at once, not one single molecule excluded. And if anything gets excluded, it's no longer this moment. And for me, that brings it together that there's a good chance this moment is God. And um, in that is that is that energy greater than us. And so I, I, um, I, uh, I acknowledge the whole and, and the fact that I'm you and you are me and it is all happening at once. And there is no there is no past or future. We're all in a continuum called now. And that's God. It's it's everything collectively. And now we're in these bodies, these masters of limitation. And so do we have the ability to control that, which is this power greater than us? No, that's where powerlessness comes in. Like if you're in any of the 12 step programs, you know what that means. And so, um, but bringing it back uh, to what you were saying, um, I, I believe gratitude was always a great word for me in theory, but I didn't know how to use it. Like I was, I would always be like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to whatever was up in the sky. And um, for me now, the gratitude actually comes in doing what you just said about, uh, about showing up um, Mm -hmm. and be, it's in a way of being, and it's not about praying like a beggar where you're just like, oh, please let this happen. Um, Give me this, give me that, let my team win. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is a Super Bowl bet that I need to come through. I think that all, I think that all is 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 relative. I think it's I think it's relative as well. I mean, it's it's interesting because that that idea of connecting with the sort of flow, frequency, movement, the happening. I think Alan Watts would call it the happening. Right? Yeah. He he always referred to reality as the happening. It's like there's. There's the happening of your observation, and there's the happening of the of the world around you, right? There's the happening of your your breath doing itself, and then the happening of you doing your breath, right? You mm-hmm. can you can control it, but it, it can also control itself. And so, I, you know, I, I think what you're describing is that when we are trying to force that happening, much like the breath, when we're trying to force the breath, we restrict it naturally. Mm-hmm. It's just as soon as we infringe, and so we we can become we can become aware of it. We can soften into it. We can surrender into it. We can watch the whole thing unfold with intention. I think that's, that's usually where I see like the spiritual woo woo take a hold is like, you don't have to do anything, right? This is like, if you just let go entirely and do nothing, you'll, it'll all, it'll all sort of pan out. It's like, no, probably not. (laughs) Probably, probably won't. You'll just, because you'll just sort of like lay down to life. But I'm, I'm curious just to come back because God has played, such an interesting role in your life, right? Just based off of what you're, what you've said about your upbringing mm-hmm. and, and just what you're even talking about right now. And I'm curious as to what that, what that arc has looked like, you know, like what, how has the role of God play changed, morphed um, throughout your lifetime? And, and what's that relationship like now? Cause I, I mean, maybe it's not a topic that you want to get into, but I think it's a, it's a fascinating thing because a lot of people right now don't want to talk about God. Right. So many people are like, if I have to hear about God again, you know, like I, I'm just going to lose it. Oh, gosh, no, I'm totally. I mean, I just put out my first book of new work in eight years called Acquire of Honest Killers. And anybody who's read it is like, you know, I don't think Buddy's really I don't think any topic is off limits. <laughs> I talk about my crush on Ramzan Kadyrov, who uh, is the president of Chechnya and systematically kills gay people. <laughs> like, you know, it's just not I'm fine to talk about God. Uh, <laughs> I mean that within reason, by the way. Um, yeah. 
Uh, so my arc with God, and I will try and keep it focused and in bullet points, is what I already said I was born into and how I perceived that, you know, that singular white guy with a long beard in the sky. And also it was there was the contradiction of all these, especially Old Testament harshness um, and then being told love, 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 love. And me knowing that I don't think that's love, guys. And then um, and then me really doing everything I could to be straight, making deals, suicidally praying on my knees next to my bed, genuinely like I'm going to die. Um, and, and, and a lot of that, a lot of that madness was because I was falling in what I called love. Um, with straight friends, you know, from the seventh grade, I remember deeply falling for someone. And then and that happened all the way past college. So I spent well over a third or fourth of my life at this point, the fraction keeps changing, <laughs> but, but, but falling in love with things I couldn't have. So that was my, that's my, that was my MO intimacy issues. Holy shit. You know? So anyway, so that that also led to this, you know, that desperation, that suicidal, like, how do I resolve all of this that's happening at once? And and this is a junior high kid. And this is leading into high school. And now I'm going to college, which, by the way, was number one in the country for criminal justice, number two within itself for agriculture. So I was surrounded by cops and cowboys, which may mean nothing to you. But for me, it was a very sexually frustrating college experience. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't mean in a YMCA kind of way. Oh, yeah. So, so then, you know, and then college, I told you, we, I don't know if, it, if we need to say the title again, but I was the president of a Christian organization. You know, I was baptized. And then let's just say from, from uh, that I was baptized Episcopalian, juggled Southern Baptist and Church of the Nazarene growing up, Pentecostal church camps, Christian student union in high school. I was six hours shy of a third minor in Christian evidences. And then, Plus, being the president of the Christian Cowboys Friends Fellowship Rodeo Association, riding bulls for music. I feel like that's that should just be the title. Um, <laughs> that's that should be a title of a of a poem that you write someday. <laughs> the fellowship, the like, not the fellowship of the ring, the fellowship of the Christian Cowboys. <laughs> right. <laughs> the hell of a poof. So, so from there, the arc was that I uh, a friend of mine got shot in the head uh, in a park execution style at, toward the end of college and we were uh we were at the funeral he was his family was catholic and the priest and the priest said the man who dies loving his life will love it eternally and the man who dies hating his life will hate it eternally hmm. and now to whatever degree that's true is not mine to say but it stuck and i went home and i sat on the, on my bed i sat on the edge of my bed with the wind knocked out of my heart and my mom came in the room and I said, I have to tell you something. And I couldn't say it. She said, well, what are you gay? And, um, and I said, yes, which I knew she knew all along. I mean, how can a mom not know? And, uh, and so she packed me up in the car because I think she was scared my stepdad would come home. We sat in a, we sat in a parking lot for two hours so that she could convince me gay was being, being gay was a choice which is really hard on me. And I allowed that to push me back for, for another couple of years um, in terms of being comfortable coming out to anybody or being open. But I graduated college, moved to, so as far as God goes, you know, I still didn't, there was still that link of disappointing family, disappointing God. But I remembered at the end of college before I graduated, I had 
eased out of the Christian Cowboys thing and I slipped out the side door and went and tried out for this play uh, in the uh, theater department, which I had nothing to do with. Like, And I had beaten out 200 theater majors to get this part playing, to get this role playing seven different um, or five different characters. And there were only seven people in the play. And I mean, my head was, you know, my ego was like, look what I did. <laughs> I beat out all these people. Um, and that was their major. And I saw, and, but I had found, like, I realized, oh shit, I, I knew I had something and here it is for now. And so then I was around theater people and I was around gay people and I was around, well, let's just call it all fun. Hmm. I was around people who were being themselves, ironically in a theater department and were partying in a way that didn't make me nervous. And, um, you know, we, we, we had anyway, so I, but I do remember I was still, I mean, there was, it was a process, not an event. And I remember seeing a tool poster. It's one of my favorite bands, you know, along the way at some point, but, and still have a massive respect for tool. I mean, I think there's millions of people who agree with that, but I remember seeing a tool poster on my buddy, Jeremy's wall, who now just lives over the hill in Bearbank from me. Um, And he's on a, he was on glow in Chicago's, I don't know, some Chicago hope or, CSI or MTV, whatever he, he, uh, it was on his wall. We were in Huntsville, Texas. And, uh, and I said, and I pulled, you know, we were out back here. I am smoking a cigarette with my back talking Christianity. Like I was some shit. And, uh, I was like, Hey Jeremy, I want to talk to that, talk to you about that tool poster on your wall because, and I think this is where I was going with all this. I didn't understand God as the energy. I just understood God as a being. And I recognize the energy on Jeremy's wall as an aggressive, dark energy that I had not understood or was comfortable with. And I was worried for Jeremy's soul within reason. And, um, and Jeremy <laughs> reacted with, oh, bud, <laughs> thanks for the, thanks for the care, <laughs> but I'm okay. And I remember the, the oh, bud thing happened again years later when I came out to him and him and our buddy Shane at a restaurant in Chicago. I, uh, I said, you guys know by now I'm gay. And, uh, and Jeremy's first words were, Hey bud, Paul said when gay, and at this time I, I had a giant beard and, uh, and Jeremy said, Hey bud, Paul said when gay dudes have a beard, that means they're a bear. Are you a bear bud? <laughs> <laughs> like, no Jay, I don't subscribe to that stuff but anyway um that's a side note we're still trying to talk about the god arc and so it took me when i graduated college i traveled uh the world for 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 i guess a couple of years ended up in seattle where my best friend from college was living they had a view they had just this unbelievable view of the city from the cathedral in seattle all the way across to the needle uh uh, uh by gasworks park for anybody who knows seattle just knows how beautiful that view is and we would just sit there every night and get stoned. And then one of them moved away uh, who I had really not wanted to know that I was gay. And the other one I knew would be totally cool about it. Um, so I went when once, once, once it was down to the two of us, I had, it, it, he, he was straight. He just didn't give a shit, but um, it turns out nobody gave a shit. <laughs> like my mom had, I had to come out to her twice, but no, basically nobody gave a shit. So I was like suicidal for all these years and no one cared. <laughs> That I was gay, except God and my mom. <laughs> uh, and even she's gotten, I guess, a little bit better with it. So uh, uh, 
but it was at that point I, I, the guilt had started to dissolve and that what's, that's what made way for clarity. And when one starts staring shame in the face, shame is this ineffectual childhood bully and it just scurries apart. It really has not the power that that word has. It literally, when you're present with what feels shameful and you look at it, it technically dissolves. It goes. It doesn't want you to see it. It wants its rumor to be true. And so the the, the passing, uh, the very gradual passing of guilt, because I was so present in having this new life and fun. I So I went and I applied at all the gay bars in Seattle. I was like, let's go. <laughs> let's do it. I mean, I haven't had sex with who I've wanted to have sex with yet my whole life. Um, with girls, yeah. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, so, um, I, I mean, we can't say unfortunately about anything in this life at this point because it's led me here. But <laughs> I did when I applied at all those bars. The Seattle Eagle called back first, and so I was like, "Well, I'll take it." <laughs> and the Seattle Eagle, the Eagle is an internationally known. Um, it's a fetish bar. So there's dudes walking around in leather and latex and dragging other people around by collars. And I just want to clarify that I've never been a leather or latex man. But I was just working behind the bar. <laughs> and um and the first night I was there was yellow hanky night. People are peeing on each other. And uh, so this is my introduction. This is my big like, <laughs> And I was there for five years. And so not only have I spent this big majority of my life at this half my life at that point uh being in love with or, or, or well we're calling it love but it's actually a, a passion and a generation of a generating passion and an infatuation and and hyper you know uh, uh, uh marinating in thoughts that are not where the source lives um which is the love the space between all that anxiety so i'm um i'm now i'm but i've moved from that into this into this, <laughs> you know, that's not to be um, not sex positive about people who are in this lifestyle, but I will speak to energies and I will speak to five years experientially, sex positive, great. War, did I feel like I was surrounded by people who were happy? No. And, um, and so the arc in the religion, and here's the important part, and it started when I was when I was president of that uh, organization is that when I was following the moral compass, the basic fundamental moral compass of no killing, no stealing or lying or um, intoxicants or sexual misconduct uh, to whatever degree that anything that harms myself or other people that distracts me from a from a practice that feels wholesome to me that started as an awareness in college and also right around the time I discovered the moment for the first time, like the moment now it all started happening at once. And I realized when I abided by these law of nature rules, not knowing what it was at the time, things were becoming happier, genuinely happier. And so that's also a process, not an event. I was coming in and out of that awareness and it's that awareness started happening again in 2005 when I went to a meditation of a Vipassana meditation course, one of that, like the boot camp of meditation, 11 hours a day for 10 days, no talking or anything. And, and that's when I really, cause that's the same thing that it's the five tenets you, you, you practice while you're there. And so God eventually revealed itself through uh, a, 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 
sound and legit moral compass that I think scares people because they're not practiced in it. Um, but any religion worth its weight is going to have those same five things going on. And there's a reason for that because they, it's, they, they, they make the difference between trying to talk on your cell phone in the basement or in a field, you know, in the wide open, their difference in reception to the energy. And it is about intention. And so these religions are about intention and, and a wholesome way of being. And then the way I'm living now is it the same thing. And it's, but it's all through these different, the, the lens of these, of this moral compass is where the good is allowed in the, the, the good energy. And so my relationship with God now is not living in any of these religions, except through that moral compass and um, which I'm able to uh, practice in the, in the technique of Vipassana meditation and Vipassana is not a, like a terrorist or anything. It's just a poly word that means clear insight. Um, it's just what they call it. Clear, clear insight. If you hate clear insight, you're going to hate this. <laughs> you know, if you're not in the air, clear insight or the law of nature or not killing things or like it, it, you just, you're not going to like this. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's pretty, pretty straightforward yeah. one. Uh, I mean, I, I appreciate you sharing your journey because I think it's, it, is illuminating for a lot of people who have been through a similar arc, you know, and, and maybe the storylines are different, timelines are different, the, you know, the challenges are different, but I think that, you know, a lot of people um, have just challenging relationships with God. And, and it's something that I haven't talked a lot about on the show, but I think it's, I think it's important. And I, and I really appreciate and love the way that you just unpack that, you know, and, and are able to, to we in sort of like weave in your own personal experience, you know, how sexuality fits into it. And I mean, there's just so much good stuff in there. I am curious about where, where the, where the like writing and the poetry comes into play, because I mean, like you have such a knack for it. I'm sure like such a gift for it. I'm sure that this is cultivated over years, but like, where did that come into play? Right. And let's just look at that really quick. Cause I I'm just mindful that we're, we're running out of time here. So, yeah, thank you. There's, uh, uh, everything I've said led to a drive and that drive was to write to my ideal self in mm. that ideal self, that man's shoes were hard to fill. And as I get older, I find myself filling them. And that is the, beauty of that's why I think the writing gets better and I do too because I was always writing to that guy the so the writing process uh, my neighbor's blending up something so I don't know if that's gonna come across that's no, all good um uh, the I'm I'm not on a you know I don't think I was ever a narcissist to an to a, to a disgusting degree but I definitely feel like a recovering narcissist and clearly self-indulgent and I think that's forgivable because of what I had to navigate. And so the writing was definitely self-indulgent and it was about me. When I saw that it was having an effect on other people, then I was able to write with even more intention. And instead of it just being, you know, me processing a lot of weight and <clears throat> trying to thin it out and write to my ideal self in that way, I was also able to start including a lot of comic relief within that and making the language even more crisp and expecting more of myself in order to hold people's attention and not even hold people's attention, but be a magnet for people's attention because I knew in my heart, um, I was doing it right. Even when I wasn't practiced at it, which is real hard for me to watch now and looking back on some of my videos and such as when I was speaking like this and not practiced at it. 
And that part's a real bummer for me. And that's why I put my first three books out of print because I don't want, I don't want it. I, I, now I feel excited about what I say because I know I've walked my talk and continue to do so. I mean, there's, I mean, everybody's definitely have a ton of work to do and, um, and uh, all the shit eating I've been doing during this uh, quarantine is, is definitely muted me in the way I think <laughs> not good living does, but um to some degree. Yeah. But the writing itself, uh, to sum that up, yeah, I've always just been writing to my ideal self and all the rules for myself in the way that I write have developed along the way. What drove me to it was everything I've already said. And it's, so it becomes intuitive at a certain point or it was intuitive the whole way. And that's the part that I can't teach, but what I've grown comfortable teaching in workshops is the observations I've made about that intuition. And I think that can be helpful. Nice. Nice, man. I mean, I, I, I appreciate, I mean, I've, I feel like it's, it's, it's clear hopefully to most people that like your journey led you to, to the craft and that's integrated into that. I love the idea of writing to your, your ideal self, right? I'll often, you know, tell people is like, how would you, how could you make that decision right now based on your potential, based on how you view yourself capable of being, and that often is very revealing. What are you just because we're we're running out of time here? What are you working on right now? What's consuming the the words on the paper that you're you're working on right now? And then what's what are some of the projects that you're working on? Well, I moved to Los Angeles a couple of years ago to uh, be uh, to write for a larger audience and television and film and to act because I um, have just exhausted the processing of myself and prefer to just put it all into action and, and write comedy and and be an actor and and, and live out that lifestyle. So obviously the quarantine's happening. And I still have to make money. So poetry is my day job as a blessing. And I, and I have to tour, but tours canceled. And luckily I was set in place to do some workshops online anyways, before the quarantine. So once it kicked in, people really showed up and um, I've made more in the last six weeks than I had in my career. And that's been a huge blessing. And so I saw a sustainable way to do that. And my best friend, John Berardi, who's in a different league and world than I am in terms of tech. Um, we are currently in, in we're, we're throwing, uh, we're throwing an online festival this summer uh, with the best spoken word artists and writers in the world. So Ani DeFranco, Sage Francis, Bosia, uh, uh, Mahogany, Mary Lambert, the woman who wrote Same Love with Macklemore. Um, there's, there's, 27 spoken word artists, two a week over the whole summer. We're building a, an online virtual theater experience that's going to be funny from the get-go. Like you give your ticket stub to the guy, he, you know, he tears it. And, you know, like the, you know, you don't know Jack games. He says one of 20 funny ass things. And like the whole experience is fun before they even sit down and see the show or it's writing based. So it'll also be <clears throat> workshops as well. And then we're solving for a lot of ways to make it really intimate with, you know, 2000 people showing up, which, you know, like 10 people breakout rooms that are all using the same interface, but they get to share and and be a real part of it um, in the workshop rooms. And then and then we want to make it amazing for the for the artists too, and have green room, you know, experience for them. So that's all of my energy. I've never been so busy in my life. All of my energy is going into that right now and organizing this festival. I'm still doing workshops online that were already booked and uh, did like a, a concert in my house in the bathroom and the kitchen and like buddy back in the closet where I just read gay poems and buddy in bed where I read love poems. And this shit is crazy in the bathroom. And <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's just, I've been nonstop over here doing the zoom thing. And then building a, a new platform that's going to be way sweeter and, and, and hella more fun than, than zoom. And, and uh, that's going to be ours. Like I expect to rent the venue out. It's called awful good writers. 
one or awful good theater and uh, awful good workshops and and, the, and it's going to be the Heavy Hitters Fest. Awful Good presents the Heavy Hitters Festival this summer, and it's 27 genuinely the, the best performance writers, performance poets, spoken word artists in the world who all have roots in uh, in spoken word. So I'm excited about it. I mean, and that that start that gets released next week in terms of announced and all that stuff. So, but but other than that, to to round that out, I'm 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 looking to you know, seem, seamlessly segue out of the poetry world for, you know, maybe when I'm 72, I'll write a poem about everybody who rocked my life. Just take a whole book and just write poems about people who I love and made me laugh and made this life a great experience. But for right now, my focus is not, is no, I'm no longer writing for public consumption other than in scripts. But nice. that's why I put out a choir of honest killers is the new book. First book of Newark in eight years. I've never been so proud of anything. It reads like a novel because it's half prose, which informs the poetry in it. And uh, BuddyWakefield.com is where it is. And um, along with all the other information about workshops and how to work with me. And uh, and then I'm also sending out, this is new for me and a blast, but I'm sending out, it's called You're, You Are a True Story. And it, uh, mm-hmm. it's a daily text from me. It's five bucks a month to get a daily text from me, which people have been loving. And the funniest thing is that somebody posted a, a woman posted on Instagram yesterday, like, like it was a scene in a script. She was like, "Hair flip." Buddy Wakefield's texting me every day, and it looks like a real bad relationship. But <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it looks like a bad relationship because she's not answering me. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh man. Awesome. Well, for, for everyone that's listening, definitely check out buddywayfield.com. And uh, dude, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your gift and just for just for having such a, an incredible conversation. I love the idea of these, these happy accidents. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing everything that you that you build. I'm definitely going to be a part of uh, of the Awful Good Theater. I'm going to check that out because that sounds amazing. So yeah, man, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate you. Thank you, Connor. Awesome, brother. And for everybody that's out there, check out the links in the show notes for everything that Buddy talked about. Head on over, um, follow him on Instagram, check out his website. And Dominic uh, is the meditation place. Boom. If anybody awesome. tries to charge you money, you're in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Uh, and uh, don't forget to leave a rating review and share this episode far and wide. Share it far and wide. That's, that's it for today. So uh, until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Mm-hmm.